This is Sacred Transformation, a Waypoint coaching community podcast, and I am your season one host, Helen Cotty. This podcast is dedicated to helping each of us to navigate the journey to wholeness through conversations with members of our community of transformational workers and those outside of our organisation who have helped to impact and inspire us. Our first season is called Coming Back to Life and is designed to help other coaches, transformational workers and those who are simply interested and curious about inner transformation. After the season of death is the space before the rising and in this liminal space is where sacred transformation will begin. Welcome to the Sacred Transformation Podcast, Season 1, Coming Back to Life. Well, hello and welcome back to Sacred Transformation. My name is Helen Cotty and I am the host for this first season. Now, we are releasing this episode in August 2020, which is right in the middle of the global pandemic, COVID-19. And we recorded this episode a few months ago, but it, it became really clear that one of the things that is happening in the season that we're in as, well, certainly as nations, I'm in the UK, many people in the US, but I suggest probably also globally, is that we are in a process of transition, huge transition, where the old ways are no longer working, where the ways that we experienced work, faith, connection, family, uh, finance are all changing. Now, this podcast episode is with Aaron Nequist, and he is a musician and a writer, a worship leader, and he has already been doing the work of recreating what it looks like to connect to God. Um, As a Waypoint coaching community, we are all Christians, although our expression of Christianity is as varied as we are as humans. Um, But one thing that is true, looking at the Christian faith tradition, is that it is changing. Things are changing. Um, And I suspect these are probably necessary changes. But this is an interesting conversation. Whatever faith expression you come from of what it means to connect to the divine and uh, how we find practices that serve us spiritually. So this is Aaron Nequist on The Eternal Current. This is episode two. Enjoy. So we're going to have a conversation around sacred transformation, which I'm really excited to just kind of delve into some of the wisdom that you've learned over the years around helping people through transformation and what that means. And mm. um, before we do, for those of those people out there who don't know you, just give us a little bit of an intro about who you are. Well, I've been uh, a worship leader in largely kind of evangelical type churches for mm-hmm. uh, much of my life. Um, but I would say in the last 10 years, I've been shifting into some different streams, different ponds, whatever water analogy you want to use, um, and exploring um, different practices, exploring learning from other traditions, other faiths, and just kind of getting out of, not rejecting that, but uh, hopefully bringing that into a bigger uh, faith, uh, sacred experience. So I still, yeah, so now I maybe call myself a liturgist, um, but just to me, that just means more than just singing together, but we're uh-huh. going to, you know, 
connect to a more historic type of experience. So. Okay, so I'm so excited about this conversation because when we okay. met, I was a worship pastor at an evangelical church. You were a yep. worship pastor at an evangelical church. That's right. Church. And since then, I think we've both been on a journey. So I'm really curious. That's right. Oh, yep, that's right. Um, what that's going to look like. So um, liturgy, let's start with liturgy. Yeah. Um, say something about that, because um, I know for me in the last few years, um, my move has been more into more kind of Celtic rhythms. Um, yeah. I love yeah. the silence and solitude and some of those sort of things that I felt yeah. I, I didn't experience in my first expressions of church. Um, yeah. So I'm curious for you around liturgy, what's there, what's it like, what does it bring? Yeah, I mean, the word liturgy um, can be pretty divisive. You know, for me, growing up, liturgy was a dirty word. Like, it's what, Mm -hmm. like, those, uh, you know, religious people did. They didn't mean it, they just did it, right? Mm -hmm. But what what I've been discovering, and many people (laughs) know this already, is liturgy just means the work of the people. It is what we do when we come together. And so every church has a liturgy. I mean, maybe you relate to this. I was a part of a church that we had a very solid liturgy. It was loud song, louder song, <laughs> even louder song, announcements, sermon, earnest song, right? Sure. I mean, that was like, mm-hmm. that was our liturgy. And that's not a bad liturgy, but it's maybe not a very robust one. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so liturgy is simply the, the rhythms and the practices that we choose to do that form us in a particular way. I love that. Uh, it's, I love that it's inclusive of the old ways, maybe the things yeah. that we were kind of yeah. more used to um, and different ways as well. And I think, I guess my experience was very similar, that there was a judgment on some of the um, right. old ways, which for me are new now, but the older ways right. of doing stuff. Um, yeah. so I love that it's all liturgy and actually it all gets to belong in the space. Yeah. And I, I love that you said that, the, the idea of judgment. I mean, so many of us, all of us to an extent, um, so kind of see our set of practices as normal and most important mm-hmm. and every other practice as like outside of that. And, you know, and I'm just finding like, you know, even the, the real modern evangelical experience that I don't connect with as much anymore these days, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's terrible. Like it's really beautiful for, for what it is. It's really good at doing that kind of narrow thing. Right. Um, so how do we hold on to the goodness of that, but then expand and fill in the gaps? Because there are many gaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know um, what your experience was, but mine felt quite clunky when I started to question, are there wider and other ways? Uh, there was yeah. some pushback, um, certainly within my kind of faith experience and in my church. Yeah. But I was going a bit off piste and uh, that was sort of frowned upon. There was a lot of panic and worry on my behalf. Right. Was that your experience or did you find a freedom to do that pretty easily? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that was my experience. And, you know, there are some people who cheer you on and then there are some people who are who think you're losing your faith. And uh, uh, and so, you know, we can't do it alone. So that's what's hard. Um, I know a lot of friends who have tried to do these kind of deconstruct, reconstruct things on their own. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, can, it can feel crushing. Like you cannot make it through that process if you have to carry it alone. 
Um, but you don't need everyone to sign off on it. <laughs> In fact, you don't need anybody to sign off. On it. You don't need permission, um, but you need a couple fellow journeyers. Mm-hmm. And um, thankfully, I had, uh, I've had two different kind of major transi- faith transition moments in my life and both times thankfully had a handful of people who were like all right let's go yeah let's, yeah let's do this let's explore um and that that saved me i mean that i couldn't have done it alone right so yeah. for me i didn't have people in person there was not okay. anyone like in the flesh but that was where yeah. people that i could connect with from a distance so like your book Absolutely. was a big part of that for me and it oh, was why i was keen to have this conversation because I think sometimes we're, I mean, there's just something about putting language to your own journey and being willing to share it when you're ready to do so that you have no idea who that's going to help. But can we point to your book for a minute and just talk about that? Because for me, that was um, super helpful in my journey. And I wonder Mm. if it might be for other people. So thank you. Say a little about your book for us. Well, let me just, before we talk about my book, to underscore what you just said about books, um, there are a couple books in my story. One in particular, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Okay. When that came along, I honestly am not sure if I would have been a Christian had wow. I not found that at that time. I mean, wow. I was I was leaving the I was I was jumping ship from the whole thing. Yeah. And, and God used that book in that moment. So to your point, man, there are a couple there are a couple Richard Rohr books. Oh, um, Richard Rohr. Yes. Save Ronald, my faith. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ronald Rollheiser, um, mm-hmm. uh, The Holy Longing. I mean, there are a number of books that have just been transformational. Yeah. So I, I am not putting my book with those heavyweights by any means. But in terms of sharing my journey that uh, happened, I uh, a couple years ago wrote a book called The Eternal Current. And the subtitle is How a Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning. Hmm. And it was uh, largely biographical, just about my, you know, first chapter starts with me, my faith imploding while I worked at a church. And just talked about what are the things that needed, that were dying, that needed to die. Mm-hmm. And, and then what are the things that were dying that needed to be rescued? Nice. And it was fascinating to discern because not all dying is good, but we know in the spiritual life, um, uh, resurrection only comes after death. Yeah. And so death is a part of the journey. And so discerning what are the good things we need to let go and what are the things we need to fight for uh, is, is a big deal. So that's some of why I wrote the book and shared that experience. Um, because I feel like a lot of people who are losing their faith are actually finding it for the first time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really scary in the moment. I don't mean that glib. Um, my, my kind of faith implosion was one of the, uh, scariest, um, darkest, uh, most tumultuous seasons of my life. But from, from, you know, the benefit of hindsight. Now I look back and I say, I was discovering a whole new invitation. Like I would never go back. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I love that. I am. Um, so I coach people through deconstruction, reconstruction. That's kind okay. of my job. And yeah. there comes a point and it's normally the point where they come and seek me out where like they are terrified. And the question yeah. is, um, 
Like, am I on the slippery slope? Am I losing yeah, it? That's right. And um, the big thing is, um, am I going to lose everything? Like, it feels yeah. like when, when that thing is happening, it can feel like the whole thing is going to collapse. That's right. That's right. Um, and I often say to people, you're not losing your faith. You're probably losing someone else's. And you yeah, just get to, like, well, figure out which bits you keep, which is what I love right. about what you're saying is you didn't throw the whole thing out. No. You just let certain things die in order yes. for new things to be reborn. Um, can you point to a couple of those things? Like what, what were some of the things that needed to die? Oh, absolutely. Just first mention that in a general sense, uh, one chapter of the book is all about include and transcend. Oh, yeah. And that's um, something I heard Richard Rohr talk about. That's something uh, uh, a writer, uh, Ken Wilber, is a mm -hmm. philosopher and writes a lot about integral, integral uh, theory and all that and talked about the include and transcend and the the whole idea is we all think that to move to the next level we have to reject everything that's come before it right. you know but instead the next level is actually bringing everything behind it but just into a bigger space mm -hmm. and that has helped me so much even when I mentioned earlier I'm not an anti-evangelical yeah um, I think there are some parts of the evangelical movement that are still really uh, compelling. Mm -hmm. And there are some absolutely toxic parts that need to be um, rejected and reformed. Yeah. But I'm not going to lose uh, some of the, some of the beauty, beautiful parts uh, as I move into hopefully a bigger space. So maybe to talk specifically about that. I'm at, a, uh, at an Episcopalian seminary right now in, in Manhattan. Very, very high church, uh, very historic liturgy. Mm. And so it's, I'm pretty out of my element. And there are some parts of it that are like water in a desert. It's thoughtful. It's historic. It's brilliant. It's uh, inclusive in the theology. I mean, it's just all these things that are really beautiful. And I've had, it made me laugh. I've had a couple thoughts like, I wish they understood how to include people in an experience like the evangelicals. Mm -hmm. I wish they understood how to bring our heart into worship, not just our brains. Right. And so I, it's, it's really funny, even as I get out of that, I, I realize a few of the gifts that have been really, really helpful. Like I actually think we should feel something mm -hmm. when we're um, talking about God or singing to God or with each other, praying for the world. I, I actually think that feeling in your heart is a good thing. Um, so anyways, just yeah. a little so bit. Yeah, so I have a theory on this. Okay. Um, which apparently I'm about to throw out in a podcast, which I'm not, All right. I don't know that it's that thought through. My theory is that all of the different faith streams are Enneagram types. Oh, wow. So basically, okay. if you were to yeah. put them all together somehow, you'd have the full picture. But like That's... evangelicalism is a total Enneagram three, in my oh, opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? That's right. That's right. Um, yep. Over here, we have kind of Celtic Christianity, which is all of the four going on. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yep. I figure like if we could somehow do that, we'd cover all bases. Yeah. That's my working theory. <laughs> well, I like your, your theory better. Mine is a more general just... The future has to be at the intersection of traditions. Yeah. Um, I think this whole idea of it's just me and my tribe and we're going to, you know, it's just no, no single expression is enough. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I think the future is going to be at the intersection. So maybe bringing 
the uh, yeah the three energy together with the nine peacemaking with you know just right. bringing things together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. So um, this podcast series is kind of entitled "Coming Back to Life." Okay. Um, and I'm curious when I throw that in, what what's the first thing that comes up for you with your story, your experience, what you do? Oh yeah, um, I mean it's probably what we alluded to earlier um, that resurrection really can come after death. Um, I was on the way out of faith. Mm -hmm. I, it, it had stopped working and I'm an Enneagram four, so I was not going to fake it. Yep. <laughs> I hear you. I was not <laughs> going to pretend um, it's either real or it's nothing. You know, I was a purist. I probably need to take myself less seriously. But, <laughs> um, so, so, but because of that, I just went, you know, head head first into into the experience fully assuming it, this was the end and it ended up being the beginning hmm. thanks be to god right and so uh, the the story now is so much it's more more compelling it's more beautiful it includes so much more and so many different kinds of people and um i was telling somebody the other day i think i actually like being a christian <laughs> and I, there's a lot I struggle with and a lot I live very poorly, but, but I'm really compelled by the way of Jesus. And, uh, so I don't know if that was answering your question. Yeah, directly. it really is. And um, let me kind of dig in a bit more there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we tend to have quite a wide audience here. So a number yeah. of people come from the Christian tradition, but some wouldn't. Yeah. So being compelled by the person of Jesus, can you say, uh, some more about that? And Absolutely. what would some of that be? So, um, probably six or seven years ago, I was, I was on a trip to the Middle East. Um, it was a dual narrative trip. So we spent half the time, um, learning, uh, the Jewish story and narrative of what's going on right now. And then half the time with Palestinians learning about the Palestinian narrative. Wow. And we were trying to just hold them both together. And it was heartbreaking and beautiful and terrible and all this. One of, the, one of the big things that kept coming up is that one of the central obstacles to peace in the Middle East is the role that the American evangelical church plays. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. wow. Okay. Yep. We are, we, the the, the uh, evangelical American church is playing such a profoundly unhelpful role in the Middle East uh, for a lot of reasons. We don't have to get into that. Mm -hmm. But it was very disillusioning for me. It was very, it wasn't shockingly, it wasn't, I, I, I was aware a little bit, but not of, of all of it. Okay. And so I remember one morning at breakfast by myself, just thinking, my whole, is my whole tradition a fraud? <laughs> like, is, what, how do I make sense of this? And I had my journal and I, I had my Bible there and I opened up to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we had actually just visited the Mount. So I oh, had, wow. kind of had, that, had that vision in my head and, uh -huh. and I started reading the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the, 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 the uh, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who, I mean, it's just over and over and it just, it was unfolding. And I remember thinking, this is the answer to to everything. This is the way. 
Mm-hmm. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are, I mean, the peacemakers, blessed are. And I remember thinking, if this is, if this is the way of Jesus, then I'm in. Right. If it's about all this other stuff, I don't, I don't know if I can stay. If it's about what Jesus actually said, imagine that, right? <laughs> Crazy idea. Crazy. <laughs> and so in that morning, I remember saying, I'm only going to, I'm not going to read anything else in the Bible, which felt like heresy to me. I'm just for a while, for as long as it takes, just going to read the Beatitudes. And then that eventually expanded to the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. This is Jesus' central teaching. And it was so freaking compelling and so subversive, um, especially for religious folks like me. And so, yeah. Um, I love what you point to that you kind of had to get out of your experience and into the other side to be able to see mm. something differently. Yeah, and I know right. That's right. But the thing actually that was like a super compelling experience for me was around the whole question of the church's support or lack of support for the LGBT community. And yeah. it was only yep. in having conversations with people who are actually in that community. That's and right. I thought I have made up this whole narrative as somebody who yep. is like a straight cisgendered woman. Um, right. And then I actually, have a conversation well i i coached a kid who was coming out and um he was a christian and he refused to deny either and he said i just don't believe that god is asking me to deny that's right that i can put the two together and that's okay but you kind of have this narrative and you can believe your own hype about it until the person on the other side bursts that bubble and says actually that's not our experience. You have a belief about us, but it's not our experience. That's right. That's so good. We should never be able to have an opinion about, about a kind of person or experience that we don't actually know. Right. <laughs> Isn't that, yeah, but we do. Sure. We have all sorts of opinions about all sorts of things. We just don't have actual lived experience with it. And it's almost like mm. systemic organizational mm. beliefs um, yeah. that you kind of buy into, partly because there are That's some... Right things about the organization you just yeah. pick the whole thing up um yeah so i love that it was like i i went there i spoke to people and the yeah. experience of that was what yes. pushed you outside of it yes yep so yep. good yeah um how would you describe your faith now well in a in a phrase um i would say practice based uh-huh. um and what I mean by that is not, um, I mean that specifically in uh, contrast to beliefs based. Okay. And because uh, I, I grew up where really all that mattered is you to believe correctly about five or six, you know, religious ideas. Mm-hmm. As long as you believe correctly, you're fine, you know. Okay. Then you get to belong and to the tribe. You get to belong, yeah. Okay. And, you know, in general terms, that's called a cult. right like we're gonna say it as it is (laughs) that's right yeah that's i mean just agree with us align your brain to what we think and then you can be a part um but that was a very very strong message in my upbringing that all that mattered all that god really cared about happened between your ears so Mm. make sure you're correct and then you're fine and i just realized that that um changing your beliefs doesn't actually change your life um, hmm. It doesn't change the kinds of people we are. And that's why, you know, there's so many people who believe really true things who end up being really bad people. 
And, um, and I saw some of that in me, like, wow, why is that not working its way through? And, and so uh, again, back to Jesus sermon on the Mount, um, the last verses of the sermon on the Mount after this absolutely epic, uh, teaching about life and life with God in this world. Uh, Jesus said, if you hear these words and put them into practice, Hmm. then you'll be like a person who builds their life on a rock, not on sand. And I just remember thinking, I've never heard that part of the teaching. And so in a very short way, Jesus doesn't just invite us to believe stuff. Jesus is trying to teach us how to live. Mm-hmm. In the analogy of, of the book, The Eternal Current, Jesus doesn't just say, believe that the eternal current exists. Jesus said, let me teach you how to swim hmm. for the sake of the world. And so this, this idea of participation with God um, has become everything for me. And some of that involves ideas. Uh, I'm, I'm still trying to learn as much as I can, but the ideas are never the end goal. The ideas are just a way to get into the water so I can participate with. Oh, I love that. Um, I got baptized in uh, Lake Dillon in Colorado about five years ago, which was a oh, shock wow. for most people because I'd been a worship pastor for about 10 years before that. Sure. Yeah. Um, but um, I remember um, this kind of feeling of like, I'm supposed to get in the water and experience this. Now, I didn't know that mountain water was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) I've never experienced cold like it. So I kind of jumped off a dock (laughs) and it literally took my breath away. Oh yeah. Yeah. Suddenly realized I felt like I'd spent a lot of my faith standing on the shore, explaining to people what water was like. And there's something very different when you're in it. And it's like, I can still remember the feeling of it. And it feels like, Maybe that's the shift in faith that's helpful instead of, I believe water exists. I believe it's probably cold, That actually when you're in it, there's a participation that changes you. That's right. That's right. And what I love, what I love about participation, that idea is because is it assumes that God is already moving and already doing things. Sure. Um, You know, because even in my real conservative upbringing, we talked about like spiritual disciplines, things you needed to do. Uh-huh. But I don't know if they were teaching this or this is just how I internalized it. I heard these disciplines as things I needed to do to convince God to bless me or love uh, me yeah, or yeah. Okay. convince God to show up. I mean, uh-huh. I won't ask you if you have, but I have as a worship leader in my early days said, God, we invite you here today, you know, as if God's waiting in the parking lot, you know, right. just like, well, are they going to play my favorite song? You know. God is already here. We don't need God to show up. Um, And we don't do spiritual, we don't do religious things so that God loves us or blesses us. God Hmm. already loves us. God is already present and blessing us. Spiritual practices just help us open up, just help us participate with what is already happening. And that to me is so compelling. It's not earning it's not convincing. Um, God's not begrudgingly saying, well, that was, he prayed five days in a row. I better bless him. Mm-hmm. No, God was with me the whole time. Even when I slept in and didn't pray, God was there. And so anyways, oh, I love invitation is participation in what God is already doing in us and through us and in spite of us. Wow. Um, 
I'm going to change tack slightly. So uh, we have kids about the same age. Um, our yep. sons have met. They have, yes. <laughs> um, you and I were probably going through the faith shift around a similar time with kids, yeah. with spouses. Yep. yep. Um, can you say something about that? What it's like when your faith is changing and you yeah. have a wife and two kids and your job is in a church and oh, man. all it's, of that stuff. It's so complicated. Well, there's like five things I want to say in response to that. <laughs> I mean, when your job's in a church and your faith is changing, that's really complicated. Mm -hmm. um, a couple things maybe about the kids. Um, <laughs> one of my friends used to say he worked with a junior high kids and he said kids are spectacular observers and terrible interpreters oh okay that's good so yeah, yeah they they see what's going on with more clarity than you could possibly know but they're not very good at interpreting what is going on uh -huh. and so i think uh, uh, uh i'm i've been assuming that my kids are watching these shifts and these changes and all that. And I've been trying to, as much as I can, um, help them understand what is happening and what isn't happening. Um, in some ways, it's seismic. It's changing everything inside of me. And in other ways, you know, it's moving from God to God, <laughs> you know, from, from one way of trying to follow Jesus with my life to another way of trying to follow Jesus with my life. Mm -hmm. and, so helping them understand uh, some of that, I think, has been, I hope, a gift to them. Um, the other thing is, I believe more than anything that we can say or teach them, for them to see us living a life that we actually believe hmm. is as inspiring as anything we could, we could sit them down and teach them, right? Right. Um, I, I had, one of my kids said, uh, we were we were walking somewhere or whatever. And he's like, dad, you really believe this stuff, don't you? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I really do. And, and that was it. And then we talked about, you know, something else or whatever. Yeah. And so I think there's something about living it in front of them. Um, that's really important, but then also translating a bit because they don't always know how to interpret what is happening. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have any fear about your journey and either with your kids or with your spouse that like these kind of fears showed up in any way um, or were you kind of just letting it happen? Yeah, I think, well, the first one happened right before um, we, we, we were even talking about kids. So the, the real dark faith implosion. Um, so I can't really speak to that from a mm -hmm. kid's standpoint, but I was afraid of losing, you know, I, I don't know if Sean and I were, were engaged at that point. It was right when we were in that season. Okay. So of course I was worried about blowing that up. I was worried about losing my friends, my job, like, you know, everything. Um, thankfully, this is a weird way to say this. Thankfully it was so bad. I didn't have a choice. Okay. <laughs> I, it was, yeah. So that's a weird, I realize that that's a weird sentence. Thankfully it was so bad. Um, but that is, that is true. I had no choice but to, um, let it, let it crumble because yeah. it was, it was crumbling. Mm -hmm. Um, in, 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 uh, subsequent years, some other big shifts that have happened. I haven't worried too much about the kids because, um, it, it was, 
there was some new life bubbling. And so there was always at least 5% hope. Okay. <laughs> you know, I could see where, where maybe this could lead me and lead us. But it's scary. I, it's easy to talk about it once you're through it. Like, oh, I'm so glad to move through that season. In the moment, it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. And it's really uh, confusing. And everybody's journey through is different. I mean, there's not one roadmap. Um, but many, many, many have made it through. Thanks be to God. Yeah. And it seems many people, uh, the many people seems to be getting more. I don't know if it's just that mm-hmm. I notice it more, but it feels like there's some kind of seismic shift, yeah. like we're on the cusp of a big change with something. I, I think that's true. Um, somebody asked Dallas Willard, this is probably 15 years ago, um, how are you not uh d- despondent over the state of the church. And apparently Dallas just said, oh, no, 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 the gates of hell will not prevail Hmm. over the church. He said, but then 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 he held up a finger and he said, but a lot of 501c3s are gonna close their doors. Interesting. And I remember that, that resonated when a friend told me that a number of years ago, and I think that's even more um, true now. Um, I am long-term so optimistic and hope-filled about the the Jesus movement on earth. I think um, the big C Christianity is going to be reborn in some really beautiful ways. And so long-term, I'm real optimistic. Short-term, not so much. (laughs) I think things are crumbling and need to. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot that's ending and dying that we shouldn't save. Um, yeah, I think, I think this is a, not a resurrection season. I think this is a crucifixion and, and just loss season. Wow. And, and then obviously we're in a global pandemic still. Um, yeah, right. So I know one of the, um, I had kind of a messy end to church where I was kind of removed from some stuff. Um, and one of the things that I pointed to is I don't believe we have to go to church to be Christians and to encounter God, if anything, yeah, I encounter God better outdoors and so on and so forth, yeah. which was kind yeah. of anti the stance of the particular church. Right. Um, and I had somebody contact me recently. They were like, well, apparently God's still alive and no one's in a church. What do you think about this? <laughs> so I was like, well, I mean, I think church is helpful for many people, like the yeah. kind of joint gathering and stuff, but it feels like there's something around this season um, where it's forcing us to look at things differently. Yeah. Um, I'm curious in your experience and from what you've seen, do you feel like this will impact the kind of capital C Christianity, the church, um, and any detail around that, that you sense notice? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it absolutely will impact and change us for long-term to be honest, I'm not sure yet. I don't have a clear theory on which way. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there's a, there is a scenario where things really decentralize and uh, move more virtually, and, um, and that would be interesting, both positive and negative. Mm-hmm. And then there, are, there is a scenario, too, when we get to the end of e- at least this version of, of, of this season where people are so desperate to be in human contact again, not just mediated by a screen, where 
it kind of swings the other way. Right. Um, so that that's where I I know something big is shifting. I, I'm not sure which way. Mm-hmm. I'd be very surprised if kind of the mega stadium type church thing um, lasted a whole lot longer. I, yeah. I think that is uh, has run its course for a lot of reasons, and I think the pandemic is uh, is kind of underscoring that. But I don't know. I I mean. I don't need more screen in my life. Oh, but I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, but I absolutely need to be with some people who are looking me in the eye and saying, you know, I'm on this journey too, and we're going to figure it out together. And mm. so, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that was one of my biggest losses um, when I came out of church was the face-to-face contact. Like, oh, I could feed myself, I could you know, sure. worship, yeah. I could read stuff, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. But it, it's hard when you are used to doing life with people and yeah. that's the method you've been taught and suddenly it's like, ah, oh, that's missing. Well, and what's wild is so many of our churches, um, the primary things that they offer are things that we can do on our own. Hmm. So like, you know, many churches in my, the tradition I came out of, it was all about the sermon, you know, a 45 minute lecture. Well, first of all, we don't learn best by lecture. So Mm -hmm. I don't know how that happened. Number two, we now have unlimited access to the top 4 billion lectures in human history. Like I don't don't need to... I don't need to leave my house for that. So I don't understand why that's the primary offering um, of a gathering. So to me, it's not at all, do we need to gather or not? I think we, I mean, we are social beings. We desperately need to gather. Do we need to gather for a religious service of entertainment and information? I, I, don't, I don't know about that. Um, so I hope, maybe I'm just fleshing this out as we talk, I hope the pandemic doesn't make us choose, do we gather anymore or not? Do we go to screens or personal? I hope it says we, we need to be together physically, but we've got to reimagine why hmm. and what we do when we're together. Yeah. And one of the rules over here is uh, soon churches are allowed to meet, but they're not allowed mm-hmm. to sing. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, like, oh, right. what are we going to do? Because yeah, that's right. so that's much right. of the service, you know, is that I'm yeah. like, we're being forced to reimagine. Yeah. My, to represent my Episcopalian friends and definitely my Catholic friends and Anglican friends and maybe every, everyone except the, uh, well, I don't want to be whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, many, many global Christians would say the Eucharist is the reason to gather um, physically. Hmm. Um, I mean, you know, our church does a virtual Eucharist where we serve each other in the living room as we're, it's not the same. Right. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. And so there is something about the embodiment um, that is lost, no matter how great the uh, virtual service is. There's something about embodiment that's lost. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we aim to end each of the... Uh, podcast episodes by just kind of giving people like and so what so a challenge or a thought or what's the one thing if you could leave people with it um 
from your perspective, from the wisdom that you bring, from the work that you do, what would you give to people yeah. in the season? Well, you know what? I was going to say something totally different. I was, I was going to uh, talk about, you know, what we were talking a few minutes ago. God is already moving. What are the practices that help open you up to what God's already doing? I, was, I, was, I had this whole thing ready. <laughs> but as you were saying that, um, the word lament popped into my head. Huh. And here's what I mean. Um, if we don't find a constructive, healthy, honest, brave um, way to engage our heartbreak and our fear and our sorrow, especially in a season of pandemic, we are going to destroy each other. Hmm. And uh, again, I was never taught about lament. Um, one third of the book of Psalms are laments. Wow. But approximately 0% of the songs that we were singing in our church were laments. And, and I think the world is um, in a broken enough place where if we don't have language to be able to bring that brokenness to God and weep over it, um, we're just going to keep projecting it on our enemies. We're going to keep projecting it onto ourselves and um, things are not going to get healed. So yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's not at all <laughs> what I was I even planning it. on saying at the end. But um, yeah, I mean, my wife and I have been talking a lot about this for both of us. When, we're, when we experience deep emotions about something, if we just stuff it down, the other one's going to pay for that eventually. Okay. <laughs> Even if it has nothing to do with them. Uh -huh. um, because that's not how a human psyche works. We don't get to just ignore these deep, these deep experiences. So yeah. I think my invitation would be find constructive, honest, pathways and outlets for your fear, for your sorrow, uh, for your anger. Hmm. And thankfully, the Christian tradition, especially the historic healthy Christian tradition, has a lot to offer in this path. That's beautiful. Um, before we go, what's next for you? Yeah. Well, um, actually, today... Um, I am finishing a new liturgy number eight uh, based on the Lord's Prayer. Like literally today, nice. when we're done with this, I'm going to uh, jump on and talk to the guy who's mixing and mastering it. And um, I am beyond excited. It's a 25-minute invitation to pray the Lord's Prayer where we just kind of go line by line. And So oh. I, I don't know if it's great. It, it's, I had so much fun making it. Um, so that's going to be available, I think, next week on wow. anewliturgy.com. And I'll send, you, I'll send you a link, too, Great. if you want to hear it. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, so you know, trying to keep make, making stuff, keep creating things, that, again, helps us open up to the God who's already here. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm just trying to play with Sean and the boys as much as possible. Nice. Memories, you know, throw a little football around in the backyard and just trying to be together and have adventures. So. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, 
So if people want to find your work, the stuff that you do, is that website the best place them to go to? Yeah, I mean, the central one is, is just my name.com, AaronNequist.com. Okay. And then that leads to, you can read more about the book, The Eternal Current. You can hear more about this, this set of liturgies that I've been creating called anewliturgy.com. And then the podcast that I've been working on the same name, but it's all, it's all connected. It's all the same, the same kind of thing. Like mm. the invitation is participation. How do we do it? And so, yeah, AaronNequist.com is probably the central place for all that. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for, yeah, just being willing to have this conversation. Yeah. I am. Um, I always loved the work that you did when we were back in the evangelical mm. circles, but yeah, I've been right. so fascinated to watch your journey. And I think you have a unique way of seeing something that is happening. Mm. And, mm. you know, that kind of prophet voice that is just a little ahead mm. of where the majority are. And mm. um, I am so grateful that you put language down for us and that you create practices that we can follow. And um, I love your liturgies. They're just oh, really you. easy to access, but I'm, I'm yeah. grateful they're out there in the world because I think there is change coming. And for those people who maybe don't have somebody directly in their world, that there's stuff out there they can find yeah. that helps them know that they're not losing their minds and not losing yeah. their faith. But, oh man, if I could say anything to, to people who are on this journey, it's what mm -hmm. I needed to hear so desperately. It's just, you're not crazy. <laughs> you're not yeah. crazy um and you're not alone huh. you're not the first person to experience this and you're not crazy in fact your eyes are getting wider you know right so yeah yeah, yeah. so good <laughs>